You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org. This is going to be a gear change now. Um, and let me get straight into it and read to you from Psalm 88. And I'm going to read portions of it from the Message Bible. And it goes like this. God, you're my last chance of the day. I spend the night on my knees before you. Put me on your salvation agenda. Take notes on the trouble I'm in. I've had my fill of trouble. I'm camped on the edge of hell. I'm written off as a lost cause. One more statistic, a hopeless case. Abandoned is already dead. One more body in a stack of corpses and not so much as a gravestone. I'm a black hole in oblivion. You've dropped me into a bottomless pit, sunk me in a pitch black abyss. I'm battered senseless by your rage. I'm caught in a maze and I can't find my way out, blinded by tears of pain and frustration. I call to you, God. All day I call. I wring my hands. I plead for help. I'm standing my ground, God, shouting for help. Why, God, do you turn a deaf ear? Why do you make yourself scarce? For as long as I remember, I've been hurting. I've taken the worst you can hand out, and I've had it. Your wildfire anger has blazed through my life. I'm bleeding black and blue. You've attacked me fiercely from every side, raining down blows till I'm nearly dead. You made lover and neighbor alike dump me. The only friend I have left is darkness. I don't know if these words surprise you, written as they are in Scripture. We have a tendency to get a bit religious on ourselves and think that there are certain topics and a certain vocabulary we need to keep away from when we're talking to God. And we forget that what the Bible is instead inviting us into is a deep, real, totally honest, totally vulnerable, brutally vulnerable, powerful relationship with God. And here you have in these pages the honest pouring out of one of the most universal of human emotions and experiences, the anguish of the heart. I want to look this morning at the problem of pain, or as it's sometimes referred to, the problem of suffering, probably the hardest problem that any of us will ever face, whether you're a Christian, an atheist, Buddhist, Hindu, whatever else. The real blows of life are the greatest challenge for us to meet, both from a head and a heart perspective. And my hope is that by the end of this morning, wherever you're coming from today, you'll get a feel for why I believe that although the problem of suffering is perhaps the greatest objection to the existence of God, God himself is paradoxically the only solution to our suffering. He's the only one who can answer both the head and the heart questions. Let me spell the problem out for you in a nutshell. Although, of course, when you're in conversation with friends or when you're thinking through these issues for yourself, you won't ever kind of necessarily explicitly take yourself through this form of logic. But here's the problem. It basically goes like this. Firstly, if God is all-powerful, then he can create any world that he wants. If God is all-powerful, he can create any world that he wants. If God is all-loving or all-good, then he would want to create a world in which there is no suffering, but suffering exists. Doesn't this mean that an all-good, 
all-powerful God. In other words, the God of the Bible doesn't, this, doesn't exist. In other words, doesn't it mean that the Christian faith is false? If God is all-powerful and unloving, but suffering exists, what does this mean about God? Doesn't it mean that the Christian faith is false? That's the problem. Let me try and walk us through some of the strands that might come together to give us the Christian response. Firstly, the question of being all-powerful. The question of being all-powerful. Many people, when they think about God being all-powerful, think that God can do literally anything and everything that he wants. But it might be just a little bit more complicated than that. God being all-powerful does not include the ability to do the logically impossible. Take, for example, a square circle. If someone asks you, isn't God meant to be all-powerful? Can't he create a square circle? The answer would be no. Or, more precisely, the answer would be that the question doesn't have a meaning, and therefore there can be no answer. There is no such thing as a square circle. The logically impossible is not a thing. It's just an incoherent bunch of words thrown together. C.S. Lewis in The Problem of Pain once wrote this, meaningless combinations of words do not suddenly acquire meaning simply because we prefix to them two other words, God can. It remains true that all things are possible with God. The intrinsic impossibilities are not things but non-entities. It is no more possible for God than for the weakest of his creatures to carry out both of two mutually exclusive alternatives, not because his power meets an obstacle, but because nonsense remains nonsense even when you talk it about God. God can do miracles. God can intervene in our lives in the most spectacular and supernatural ways. God can do what would be impossible for us, but he cannot do the logically impossible because there is actually no such thing. Now, you might be thinking, probably at best at this point, okay, I guess that could be considered interesting in some context, but pretty random when we're trying to think about suffering. What has the logically impossible got to do with the problem of pain? So let me take a step back and ask a related question. What would it look like for God, an all-loving God, to create a world in which we could meaningfully experience love? What would it look like for God to create a world in which we would meaningfully experience love? I want you to imagine a scene. There's a man and a woman. The woman, deeply emotional, crying, stutters out these very guttural kind of words, I love you. Does it make a difference to you to know that the man is holding a gun to the woman's head, telling her to say that? Does it change the scenario, the dynamic of what you think is happening? Whether you are witnessing, you think you are witnessing a meaningful expression of love. To quote my boss, Michael Ramson, let me suggest to you that the question of love is not an issue of power. The question of love is not an issue of power. Imagine that there is a God who is love. And he wants to create human beings who will know his love, who will experience the depth 
of his love and who will love him back. He wants to create human beings who will know the joy of loving one another. Whatever else he creates in that world, one thing would have to be true of those human beings. They'd have to be free. They'd have to be free. God did not create suffering. God did not create evil. But he did create us. And he created us free. Free to choose for him. Free to choose for one another. Free to choose for ourselves. But equally free to choose against him. Free to choose against each other. And even free to make decisions that harm ourselves. And although we could have chosen to do good and be good all the time, the fact is that we have chosen to use our freedom instead to choose to do evil and therefore to cause pain. The brokenness of this world is not an abstract phenomenon. It's the result of every single decision against love, against one another, even against ourselves, that we and our freedom have taken. Greg Kukul writes this, If God wiped out all the evil in the world tonight at midnight, where would you and I be at 12.01? If God wiped out all of the evil, every single jot and dot of it in our world tonight at midnight, where would you and I be at 12.01? See, I think it's a little bit too convenient, too easy to think that the problem is out there somewhere. I wonder if it rings true to you that the Bible tells us that the problem lies through every human heart. There's a brokenness inside, an evil inside that needs to be dealt with. Is it possible that suffering exists not because God doesn't love us enough, but precisely because he is love and values love so highly and therefore made us free. That's part of it. Let me come at the problem of love from a second angle. I think many of us wonder why God didn't just tweak one thing or another in the world or in our lives. Couldn't God have just changed this one event, just one thing, this one situation, not all of the suffering, not not everything, just this one thing, the worst of it, or this, this section of it that made everything else so unlivable. Not everything, but... Some of it limited it just a little bit. Why didn't God intervene just, just that one bit? I wonder if any of you have seen the movie About Time by director Richard Curtis. It's a kind of love story, comedy, big life lessons all rolled into one, one of my favorite movies. The main character of the movie is a man called Tim Lake, played by Donald Gleason, who can travel back and forth in time and change specific things about his own life or the lives of his loved ones. And the story tracks his discovery that there are consequences to making changes that may have been a little bit more complicated than he might first have envisaged, and that making his own life better, living life to the full, may need a different strategy. I'm going to play you a clip from the movie now, but let me give you the context first. Tim Lake has traveled back in time to undo a certain event in his sister's life. His sister is experiencing a huge amount of suffering, and he realizes that if he can just go back and alter one event, not the whole of it, not her whole existence, but just one event, that it will undo so much of the suffering that has come from that and make everything else better. He goes back effectively to fix the problem of suffering in his sister's 
life, just that one event. He successfully alters the event, keeping everything else the same and comes back to the present day. And you see him walking into his home to the present day and to his family. And I want you to watch his reaction as he's reunited with his baby. This is the picture of his little girl, Posey, in the movie. Take a good look at her. It's her character that's most important in the mix. That's Posey. And this is him walking back to chat with her once he's back from his travel. Enjoy the clip. Fabulous person in the world. Come to your dad and get mashed up food shoved into your mouth. Hello there, little boy. You just wait there and I'll be back in a minute. the birth again can i no i should have mentioned that you're okay till it comes out but the exact sperm at the exact moment got you this particular baby so if you do anything the tiniest bit different you'll, you'll have a different child so every day up till yesterday is as it will always be lost just like for everyone else okay interesting tough i love you dad I just had my little girl Georgia when I watched that moment when he comes back to that different baby and I wept and wept and wept. If you're a parent here, you know what it is. You want your child, not just any child, your child. A good friend of mine, Dr. Vince Vitale, has developed an argument that actually speaks to the emotions of these very scenes. He writes this, We often wish we could take some piece of suffering out of the world while keeping everything else the same, but it doesn't work that way. Changing anything changes everything and everyone. Is it possible that we live in the world that we live in and that God doesn't alter and tweak things, one thing and then the other, in the way that we would sometimes wish Because it mattered to God that it was you. That it was you. That God doesn't just love a random group of human beings together, but that he specifically loved you and loved me when he was creating our world. What I'm saying is, you aren't interchangeable in the heart of God with some other baby however amazing that baby might have been. Of course, God could have created a different world, a world with less suffering, possibly, but that world wouldn't have been the world of you and me. This world, the reality of this world, with all its brokenness, with all its suffering, is the world in which the real you and the real me exist. So you have that being all-powerful doesn't necessarily include the logically impossible. Secondly, the reality of what it might mean that God is all-loving. Thirdly, a comparison. Most people make the mistake of thinking that the problem of suffering is the problem for the Christian alone, and in a sense, they're right. This specific problem of an all-good, all-loving, all-powerful God is unique to the Judeo-Christian faith because it's in fact only the God of the Bible who claims to be both all-powerful and 
all-loving. Sometimes people think that Islam makes a similar claim, but it actually doesn't. Only the God of the Bible claims, even makes the claim, to be both all-powerful and all-loving. But the reality is, that's the technical problem of evil. It doesn't fix the actual problem of suffering, the fact that we all suffer, the fact that we lack answers for the dark periods of our lives to simply take the Christian God out of the equation. The real problem of suffering is a problem for all. Every person on this planet, whatever their beliefs, has to grapple with the reality of evil, the reality of brokenness and suffering that exists in the world. One of my colleagues, Simon Edwards, sums up the response of the major world religions in a nutshell like this. Atheism says suffering is just natural. It's Evolution, matter, time, chance, doing their thing. Just get on with it. Atheism says suffering is just natural. Just get on with it. Islam says it's God's will. Submit to it. Hinduism says it's deserved, so live with it. Buddhism says it's an illusion. Ignore it. This, in a nutshell, is what the major world religions offer us on suffering. Atheism says suffering is natural. Just get on with it. Islam says it's God's will submit to it. Hinduism says it's deserved. You've earned it through a previous life, so live with it. Buddhism says it's an illusion. Ignore it. I don't know about you, but none of these alternatives seem to ring true to my experiences, my longings, my emotions, my lived-out reality of suffering in my life and in this world. It seems to me that only the Christian faith really acknowledges that there is something that has gone horribly wrong in our world, that this wasn't meant to be our story somehow, that there is something that has gone wrong right at the core of who we are, like a spreading cancer that has infected everything. And it's only the Christian faith through the cross that gives us a future hope to look to. In other words, don't be fooled into thinking that if you just take the Christian God out of the picture, you've solved the problem. The real problem of suffering is something for each of us to grapple with. And I think if you take God, the Christian God, out of the equation, you end up suffering without hope. And I think with fewer answers. Two final strands very briefly, and then I'll wrap it up. The answer of the cross and the promise of relationship. Firstly, the cross. I've already talked a little bit about the brokenness and evil within each of us. God, the perfect being, has given us a moral code by which to live. All of us have broken it, but it's a brokenness with a twist. Michael Ranson puts it in a kind of inimitable style. He goes like this. Imagine that you decide one day that you will break the law of gravity, and you put a giant S on your chest Don a red cape, put on massive red pants outside of everything else you're wearing, and you run to the top of a 10-story building, you run, you jump. What will you break? What will you break? We've turned our backs on God, tried to break his moral law, but in the process we've broken ourselves while proving his law, And the Bible tells us this has broken the heart of God. It might be that you're sitting here thinking of God as angry, judgmental, condemnatory. Throughout the Bible, God pleads with humanity, why will you break yourselves? 
Repent and live. I'm paraphrasing the book of Ezekiel. I long for you to live, God says. Turn to me, come to me, I'll restore you, redeem you, forgive you, give you life. Come and live. Why will you break yourselves? Come and live. And it was in order to make that life, new life, full life, abundant life. The message translation puts the words of Jesus in John's gospel as more and better life than you ever dreamed of. That's the invitation of Jesus. Come and have more and better life than you ever dreamed of. It was to make that life possible that we read that Jesus, God himself, knowing that we had broken ourselves and broken our world, came into this broken world, lived the perfect life, the life we ought to have lived. And on the night he was betrayed, took some bread. We're about to have a communion table in a bit. This is what it means. He took some bread, seeing our brokenness, and said, this is my body, broken for you. God has not left us to it. We broke ourselves, broke our world, and broke the heart of God. So he sent his son, who was willing to be broken on our behalf, that we might be reconciled to God, that life in all its fullness. The most famous verse in the Bible is John 3, 16. This is how much God loved the world. He gave his son, his one and only son, and this is why. So that no one need be destroyed. But by believing in him, anyone can have a whole and lasting life, eternal life. The next verse says, God didn't go to all the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger at the world, telling the world how bad it was. He came to help, to put the world right again. Anyone who trusts in him is acquitted. Anyone who refuses to trust in him has long since been dead under the death sentence without even knowing it. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. That the world might be saved through him. One final strand, what does this mean for us? The promise of relationship. I don't know if you're aware that one of the most um, prevalent commands in the Bible, the repeated command in the Bible is fear not, fear not, fear not, fear not, fear not, fear not. It's so important that we remember the words in Psalm 23, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil. It doesn't say, though I skip through the mountaintops where there are blooming flowers, I will fear no evil. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. In other words, becoming a Christian, knowing the person of Jesus Christ, experiencing the power of what it means for God to live in you, doesn't remove all of the brokenness, not yet, not this side of eternity, of the world. That's not what God is promising us. He's not saying, hey, become a Christian, and suddenly all of your life's struggles will be immediately over. This is not a prosperity gospel. He says, fear not, for I am with you. That's the promise. He promises us himself. 
He promises us himself. When Jesus says in the Gospel of John that he has come to give us life and life in all its fullness, he also tells us he himself is that life. He himself is that life. He is not a means to an end. He himself is the end. He's offering us relationship. And he tells us that if we will invite him in, invite him into the broken areas of our lives, invite him into the darkness, invite him both into the pain and into the moral failures, he will come and make his home in us. He promises to be with us. One day he'll make all things new. We're living in the kind of the anticipation of a future reality. One day all things will be redeemed, restored. But even now as we anticipate that future reality, he can come into our lives and God in us be the comfort, strength, and grace we need not only to face the reality of this world, the real brokenness of this world, not only to live the journey, but to be transforming agents in it. I have lived my whole of my memoried life as a Christian, and I've lived through some really dark periods of depression as well. Knowing Jesus is not a magic wand that changes brokenness, but it does mean that you live with purpose, significance, meaning, wholeness, peace, even surprising joy in times of utter darkness on the outside. It is an incredible thing that God says, if you invite me in, I will come and I will make my home in you. I will live in you. I'll give you an inner power to face the world. There's a very moving verse in the Gospel of John where Jesus, the embodiment of all of the hopes and dreams of humanity, stands in the middle of a crowded temple court and shouts out, if anyone is thirsty, come to me and drink. If anyone is thirsty, come to me and drink. And what he's saying is anyone is broken, anyone feels a need inside themselves, anyone is hurting. If you feel that in yourself it's just not sufficient, that there's more, he's saying, come to me. You don't need to be good enough. You don't need to wait to get it right. Come to me and I will come and live in you and your life can be transformed. And I want to give you an opportunity this morning, if that's you and you feel I would love to know Jesus come into my life and live with me. You might not even know what all of that means, but you think, I would like Jesus into my life to come and live with me. I want to pray for you right now. Can I ask everyone to bow their heads? You don't need to indicate to me that this is you. I'm going to pray. If you're sitting here and you're thinking, wherever your circumstances, I wonder if I could have Jesus in my life. I'm just going to offer a few words, and then we'll have a time of ministry afterwards as well. Just repeat this in your heart if this is you. Lord Jesus, I don't even know you very well. I know some things about you maybe. But I recognize that there is brokenness in my life and in the world. And I recognize that no matter how hard I try to fix my own life, it's just never going to be the whole deal. And I'm inviting you, if that invitation is true, if you're saying you really will come and live with me, live in my heart. I invite you, Jesus, come and live in my heart. Show me what that means. Let me know the power of living the rest of my journey with you. In Jesus' name, amen.